Dave, I do not get superheroes. Oh my god, I don't get you. What don't you get? Towerbot here. Well, the meat bags were going to say that if you're a geek and like podcasts, then you could try Tower of Technobabble at www.towerofTechnobabble.com. Then this started. Well, it's up to you. I'm gonna get my taser and put a stop to this. Towerbot out. Okay, monkeys. It's nap time. Mark, and you're listening to episode 28 of Nerdology, brought to you by uh, CSO, the cult fanzine. And my very special guests today are Mr. Dave Davis and Simon Brett. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, just dandy. Yeah, <laughs> I've, got the, I've got the doors open, patio doors open. Lovely. Uh, we are recording on May the 4th, so that's uh, Star Wars Day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Happy Life Day. So we start, <laughs> are we talking about Star Wars? Well, you know, I just, I just thought we should mention it. Do you know, we may touch on it. There's a big reason. Yeah, yeah, it could kind of come under the um, the auspices of what we're looking at. And also, of course, yesterday was comic book day, free comic book day. It was. Sometimes uh, we uh, celebrate it all weekend long, so it's still yeah. free comic book day. <laughs> Did you partake, Dave? Uh, I'm planning to later this afternoon. Ah. Where I'm at, uh, we're right next to Louisville, Kentucky, and the Kentucky Derby was yesterday, which basically really is... That's the, a pretty big thing. Yeah, it's a huge thing. It's two minutes mm-hmm. of horse racing, and they celebrate for two solid weeks here. Nice. So, it's a whole thing. So, I'm just trying to get my head around <laughs> this whole free comic book day thing. I am a complete comic book novice. So, does this mean you can just walk into a comic book store and just help yourself to any comic that you like, or <laughs> well, how does it work? They do it have depends, certain... Yeah, I was going to say, how it depends how well you know the owner. That's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, they actually just frown upon you just taking things off the shelves. <laughs> they're, they're actual free comic books that they have set aside oh, uh, for okay. this special occasion. Basically, it's a way mm. to get people into, um, you know, into the habit of walking into a comic book store and walking out oh, with I comics. See. Preferably so they paying start is... you off on the on the freebies and then they get you hooked on yeah, the Yeah, just like crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your first taste is free and uh, uh, yeah, then we'll talk. <laughs> oh, so Simon, I understand you went to a comic fair yesterday, is that right? Or there was a big event? No, going? no, I went, well, oh, no, no. Uh, I won't tell you the the event I went to afterwards because it's quite embarrassing. But oh. uh, no, before that oh, I no, went come to on, the you can't say that and then not tell us. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not fair. I went to a flower festival. Wow. <laughs> See, I had something much more embarrassing in mind. But, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I had something much more dubious. But anyway, carry on. How did you? Well, just in my imagination, but then that says more about my imagination. So, yes, anyway, you're going to tell us. Yes, yes. You're going to tell us about uh, your... Yeah. No, I went to a... Yeah, yeah. I went to um, uh, a small place people i know uh and basically what they do is they buy in there'll be a range of comics by the various companies and mm-hmm. they'll actually put together special editions which they obviously sell very cheaply okay. i could tell you how cheap it's a matter of pence but hmm. when you get these free comic books they're not technically they're not free because the shop themselves have bought them in yeah I see. try and 
get people in, but they're getting them at a the special deal anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny you saying about it being a way of hooking people and getting them in. There were some really good titles there, which tie into movies that are about to come in and quite popular characters from cartoons. So they were going for all all age ranges, all types of fan. You know, there was stuff that was based mm. on you know like Simpsons, and there was obviously the big Marvel titles, and there was like Guardians of the Galaxy special editions. Just in have there time been the any movie. big comic book movies? I'm not really aware of, of any. Uh, no, not since Green Lantern. That was that was a good one. You're a big DC fan, aren't you, Simon? I love DC. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's not in on this joke. Um, Simon is, is not a fan of DC. At oh, all. good, because I thought this yeah. was going to be a very awkward podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? I would love. I, I I'm I would love to like it. I'd like to read as many comics as as possible, mm-hmm. but. You know, you just end up. Obviously, you end up picking up on your favourites, but when, yeah, this, when this could so- get a bit awkward because my my very limited um, comic book experience was back when I was a teenager, and the few that I really read were Watchmen and mm-hmm. The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. So that's they're pretty much all DC, aren't they? Okay, yeah, but well, you've just you've just listed the three best titles yeah. ever by DC. Oh, well, there you are then. <laughs> Yes, you have a very discerning taste because, yes, that, oh, that was pretty much the high water mark of DC. Mm-hmm. And it's all been downhill since then. Well, they just completely scuttled their lines, in my opinion, with the new 52. I just, I, can, yeah, I cannot I mean, how, get into any of that. I'm trying to get my head around this. So, just for those who aren't perhaps in the know, this new 52, is it? Yeah. Well, they've taken all their characters and just started them off again on new basically, adventures, or how does it work? Yeah, uh, about two years ago, I think. Uh, yeah, about two years ago now. Um, they just ended all their lines, with a couple of exceptions, and started mm-hmm. everything off at number one and completely redid their continuity. They just stopped and rebooted the entire so universe. Slate. Almost. They didn't do that with Batman. Um, mm-hmm. And Batman and Green Lantern, I think, were the two that they really didn't completely cut back to zero. Right. But uh, they just com- – and what they did with them, I didn't really care for. They didn't stay true to a lot of the characters. It just made a, it just made a big mess of the entire thing, in so my I'm interested in my to opinion. know what it is about Marvel that really turns you both on that DC don't seem to do. Is there something you can really put your finger on, or is it a bit more it, – um, You can rewind right to when it first started, in some mm. respects. Mm. They, they attacked – you know, I'm not going to fudge the issue. The fact that DC start were the first; they were the first to start, as far as I'm aware. Sort of yeah. 1938 with Superman and yeah, what and, we would uh, recognise now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, the difference being with with Marvel or what was it? I'm trying to remember was it was it timely? Is it when it first started, Dave? I'm trying to think, it was timely publications or something, wasn't it? Which um, had Captain Captain America, Submariner, uh, the early stuff. Yeah. Um, I can't... But then mm-hmm. it's when Stan Lee got involved and he mm-hmm. turned it into Marvel Comics and he did yeah, this around. thing of sticking them into a semi-real world. So you'd have superheroes where when they're in their, their normal guise, then they've yeah. got jobs. And mm-hmm. they've still got to go out earning money and they've still got real problems. They've still got girlfriend problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that was the big difference. And that's, that's followed through in a lot of ways. And I don't think DC have ever really caught on to that in the right way. Yeah, there's... My... Sorry, carry on. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, my, my major sort of uh, way of catching up on comic books really is through the movies these days. And I just get the impression that the Marvel movies have more of a, a sense of humour and a bit more fun about them, whereas the, the DC franchises tend to 
take themselves a lot more seriously? That's part of it. Um, mm. in, in the early mm. 60s, when the Marvel Universe really started the, as we recognize it now, um, mm-hmm. you know, Spider-Man had to worry about uh, uh, his sick aunt and uh, you know, paying the bills, paying the rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fantastic Four were basically a family. And, and you just didn't see that sort of um, quote-unquote realism in the mm-hmm. DC Universe. They were all larger than life, whereas, you know, being bitten by a radioactive spider didn't pay your rent. You still had to, yeah. <laughs> you still had to so make ends classic, meet. Classic comparison is you got Bruce Wayne, who's this multimillionaire yeah. with his mansion and stuff. And then on the flip side, you've got Peter Parker, who's just this kid who works for a, a newspaper. Yeah. And through inaction, his uncle got shot and he feels he has felt mm. guilty about it for the past, you know, 50 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, there's that kind of call to adventure, isn't there, with the Marvel characters, that a lot mm-hmm. of the, the heroes didn't want to be heroes. Yeah, they were kind of thrust. It, it was thrust upon them. Yeah. And yeah. and the other thing is it didn't, uh, you know, all the DC uh, stuff happens in made-up cities. I mean, yeah, Metropolis is a stand-in for New York, and you could say Gotham mm-hmm. City is a stand-in for probably Chicago. But, uh, you know, everything in the Marvel Universe happens. There's actual places, actual landmarks. That, that sort of thing. So it it was grounded more, I think, in reality. Mm, and they've actually had real real time events as well, haven't they? Involved in the Marvel comics as well, isn't it? Haven't they? Nine um, Eleven was referenced, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, kind of obliquely, there was a special issue. I think might have been. A, I think it was Spider Man who did it. Where it was right after it happened. It was a sort of a, a memorial in that. And since so many of the Marvel heroes are based in New York. Mm-hmm. It was a way they couldn't really tie it into the main storylines because you know Thor could have stopped them, but mm-hmm. but uh, it was I don't know, it was a nice touch I thought. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it's, I can imagine it's quite a difficult thing to write because you've got to be so sensitive to towards people's feelings. Yeah, and the, it was handled really well. I think uh, mm. that's another oh. thing, isn't it? Sensitivity. There is a sensitivity to the Marvel comics. Yeah, um. and you know Marvel is based primarily in New York, so there was a, mm-hmm. a feeling of. You know, they knew they were there when it happened, so there was a, a better feeling for it. So this whole DC New Fifty Two thing, have, have Marvel ever attempted anything like that, or have they just tended to stick with their own continuity and and they kind of carry on as they were? They have uh, continued. They've never been. There's never been a reboot. There's been a couple of mm-hmm. false starts. I think there was a Heroes Reborn line in the '90s. Which was the nineties were pretty much a lost era for comic books in general. Yeah. <laughs> Things were they talk going. about the golden age, don't they, and the yeah. silver age? I mean, I don't really. Yeah, that doesn't make an awful lot of sense to me. Apart from you know, the golden age must have been that bit better than the silver age. But <laughs> <laughs> is there a bit more to it than that? <laughs> uh, there's some loose markings. Uh, there was the uh, the golden age was uh, basically. Um, when uh, Superman and Batman that first got started, the Silver Age was basically when the Marvel Age got started, and then. Oh, um, so you would both argue that the Silver Age is better than the Golden Age? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It, it's interesting you saying about the the sense of humor thing with mm. DC because I have a theory that the DC characters work better in a uh, a more lighthearted, literally comicy. I think scenario. I know where you're going with this. Well, I just think I I is love Adam West. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is great, Batman, and that's where it works. And you've got all the different characters, like the Joker and the mm-hmm. Penguin, and things like that. And and they two do this thing now with a Tim Burton. Oh dear, excuse me, that's my phone going off. I'll just <laughs> throw that away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the Tim Burton thing just made it a whole darker experience. 
but not necessarily for the better. Yeah, that uh, second Tim Burton Batman film, I, that's one I don't go back to. It's a little dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the with the, the whole Adam West thing, certainly as a kid, um, I think we were all of a similar age. When I was growing up in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, um, that version of Batman was on the TV pretty much the whole time. Mm. And that was kind of my first introduction to that character. So you... And it seemed, I mean, looking at it now, it looks incredibly campy and, you know, really sort of um, technicolor. And, but um, it's a lot of fun. And, and I think as a kid, you took it really seriously. I don't know. Did you watch that when you were growing up, Dave? Yeah. And it's funny. I, as a kid, I did take it seriously and I couldn't get why my dad was laughing. And <laughs> it actually kind of made me mad at the time. Why are you <laughs> laughing at this? How are they going to get out of this trap? <laughs> And, of course, you had Catwoman for the dads as well, so... Oh, yeah. Ooh, ow. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely do, and even when I see bits of it now, I just think it's great, and I think that's the kind of level it... it, it, At the end of the day, is a man running around dressed as a bat, and... (laughs) 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 Wearing his underpants over the top of his tights. Yes, this is the thing. I mean, Mm. all that comes from when they were... Because that was all based on wrestlers, wasn't it? That was the whole idea why Superman had pants over the top. Yeah, the strong man yeah, okay. uniform. Which in exactly. the New 52, he does not have that anymore. Ah. Um, so, screw that up too. Yeah. <laughs> but what I was going to say is there's almost like this missing link between the humour of those days mm. and then the ones now. They, When you look at the, the movies based on the DC characters, they seem to have this yeah. obsession with sticking them all in Kevlar and oh. and, and darkening down Superman. I mean, it's But like, it seems to be the way they, they're going with movies because, I mean, I've... I have to admit, this is probably, I'm probably the only person in the world. I haven't seen any of the new Transformers films. Hey, right. you're, um, you're but okay. it's, it's taking something that's like a kid's toy, and from what I gather, it's turning it into this kind of fairly adult world where you've got sort of girls in skimpy outfits and big explosions. And mm-hmm. We have a term for it over here. I don't know if you all have this, but uh, mm-hmm. we term it disaster porn. when basically you're destroying i mean in the third transformers film they just basically destroy chicago uh Mm -hmm. in man of steel they destroy metropolis Mm -hmm. somebody did a uh an estimated body count the body count of man of steel would have been like 135,000. wow because they completely flatten basically the middle of new york (laughs) god that's nearly up there with the resurrection of the daleks Do they destroy New York in that? Not in that one, but they do go around killing a lot of people. I think they worked out there's more deaths in that than there was in the original Terminator movie. (laughs) (laughs) She's going some. Yeah, people just watch Doctor Who for the body count. Yeah, as your good friend Ben would do. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hi, Ben. Hello, Ben. (laughs) So um, You you said Doctor Who. If you say it two more times, he'll appear. Doctor Who, Doctor Who. (laughs) No, no, he's definitely not turned up. You would have heard him by now. Yeah. Without going into that subject, if we're talking the Moffat days, not many people mm. tend to die in Stephen Moffat. Two, do they? No, just this once, everyone lives. Mm. Yeah, Dave will have no idea what we're going on about. Oh, I've watched the modern ones. Yeah, because of course they were uh, Doctor Who comic books, weren't they? Oh yeah, and some of the the from what I understand, the, the greats of British comics were involved in the Doctor Who comics. I mean, Alan Bort, Alan Moore, and. Uh, uh, Dave Gibbons were, were quite heavily involved, weren't they, for a while? 
uh, trying to think what Alan Moore did on that side. I know he did some Star Wars. I'm not sure whether I he did. I think he did some of the uh, Tom Baker ones. Oh, did he? I, yeah. I had no idea. I missed some of those mm-hmm. then. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, this was this was how it this was how it was for me with Marvel. Mar- I discovered Marvel through um, uh, obviously uh, in the UK from about 1972 onwards. They actually put together Marvel UK, mm-hmm. where they reprinted a lot. Whereas you would usually get Marvel comics literally by picking up imported comics that would turn up in certain news agents, they, they yeah. decided they would start reprinting them. Um, and with the printing the way it was in this country, they decided they were going to print them in black and white. Oh, so, really? yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the classic comics that Dave will know from his childhood, I first saw in black and white. And if I was lucky, <laughs> if I was lucky, grayscale. Wow. Yeah, huh. absolutely. Mm. They would. They would literally. No, you, recolor them. you probably spent a lot of time coloring them in. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many comics that would have been worth a fortune. No, no, none of them. Do you know none of those reprints are worth much? Really, probably the Doctor Who's and the things that had original artwork and that in them. Yeah, but not even for the, um, the 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 difference of having the, the monochrome or not. You'd really. think so, wouldn't you? But yeah. no, no. Hmm. Hmm. But um, my earliest, Mar- well, my earliest Marvel comic was probably a fantastic. No, it wasn't. It was Supervillain Team Up from 1974, I think it was 75, which was a, a team up between the Submariner, who was mm-hmm. uh, classed as a villain, teaming up with Doctor Doom, okay, against the Fantastic Four. Um, and I got that from my uncle and aunt's uh, campsite where they just got a few of these comics which were distributed and they had them on like a rotating stand. So I used mm-hmm. to go in, spend my pocket money, just picking one of these to go and read in the caravan. Yeah. So um, that's how it started. But then they they started a new Fantastic Four British strip, which was mm-hmm. essentially, it was reprinting the origin story and then they would they would break that up into sort of more serialised things and then mm-hmm. there would be a second strip which was I think was a more up to date Fantastic Four story and then So there would, would be... they change the, the plot lines at all for the, the UK market or was it very much a straight Yeah, no they didn't copy? change the stories, but they certainly mm. changed they anglicised a lot of the spellings. <laughs> and probably the main job of the editor of Marvel UK, which obviously mm. originally was Des Skin, uh, who was yeah. a man also responsible for Starburst magazine. Um uh, and Doctor Who was, magazine. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Who magazine as well was mm. to uh, anglicise a lot of the spellings. Mm-hmm. So you'd see really quite badly done. If I, I'll have to find <laughs> some of these and scan them in so you can see them, Dave. Oh dear. They literally look like they've been tipexed out and written in in bad writing wow. <laughs> over certain words. Just add the U certain places. Exactly. Yeah, or get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Neighbour. Yeah. It was that sort of thing. So that's what you get. But the, the advantage of that as well was because they used to break them up into smaller chunks, because these mm-hmm. a lot of these comics were weekly as opposed mm-hmm. to monthly. Yeah. I don't think they started in monthly ones till much later on. These mm-hmm. were weekly. So this the idea of these serialized stories worked much better, much much more like, you know, Doctor Who or any of any of the T V yeah. series, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you they weren't averse to um to recycling stuff because I seem to remember watching a documentary about the comic, the strip act part of the Doctor Who magazine, and they were talking about how um, they would recycle old John Pertwee stories and just sort of um, draw in Tom Baker over the top of them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's going back to like TV Twenty One and things like that. Yeah. A lot of the British titles, but um, mm-hmm. but the the other advantage of it was you would because there would be small chunks, and these comics were made up of small chunks of story. They would put backup strips in there, so through that you would learn you would meet other characters that you wouldn't ordinarily have read 
um, it's like I know, you know, Rocket Raccoon from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the new film that's about mm-hmm. to come out. Yeah. And he's just about to get his first comic for the first time because of the movie. But right. I first mm-hmm. saw him in a backup strip in Star Wars comic in Britain. Hmm. Oh. So, yeah, um, a lot of people don't know that uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, that was an older comic book that kind of lay fallow for a while and kind of got uh, resurrected for the, the new um, new generation here. Yeah, yeah. So the, you mentioned before about the supervillain team up. This whole, I mean, the Avengers is huge. So it, that's not necessarily a particularly new idea to get superheroes and put them together in a, in a story. Are there sort of ones that are held up above all the others? Is Avengers like the, the ultimate sort of matchup or are there others that are as good? It's probably the X-Men, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, Fantastic Four, but I wouldn't really call that a team-up. Um, back in the day, there used to be a, a Spider-Man team-up book and a Thing team-up book, Marvel 2-in-1, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember what... Uh, Spider-Man's was called, but yeah, it would well, be, that uh, was that was Marvel Team Up, wasn't it? Spider-Man. Yeah, one. yeah, Marvel Team Up. Yeah, yeah, and Thing was two in one. Yeah, it would be the Thing and I don't know Iron Man or the Thing and the Silver Surfer, or Spider-Man and you know Kitty Pride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they kept yeah, running into each other in the world. <laughs> well, this, this is another thing with the Marvel DC because DC are currently they're planning the Justice League. Uh, yeah, Justice League. Justice League of America, the JLA, is essentially DC's Avengers. I don't know which one came first. Justice Society of America was first, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, that was from the Silver Age. Uh, yeah. There were earlier ones. It was the uh, Jay Garrick Flash and um, uh, the older, you know, the older Kal-El with a, just an L instead of an E-L. The, oh, yeah. the, world, <laughs> the world War II uh, superheroes. Yeah, yeah. Um so, I mean, this is something that's new to films, is this idea of the crossovers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the equivalent of in, I suppose in some respects in the UK, like a J- James Bond crossing over with Dan Dare or something. It's quite, <laughs> it's 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 a brilliant idea in theory, whether it works or not is another matter. But to to see these crossovers happening in the films is, is quite nice. I mean, I do remember having little sparks of excitement when you you'd be reading a, a comic for a period of time and then all of a sudden mm. a, a character from another comic that you were also reading started appearing in it as well mm-hmm. yeah and you get the same effect in, uh, my daughter's at the moment she's catching up on a load of old cartoons like mm-hmm. spider-man is amazing friends oh yeah and oh, she yeah. loves those she loves those because you know it'll be carrying on and then all of a sudden one of the x-men will turn up wolverine mm-hmm. st- suddenly turns up with a Cockney accent and things like that. It's, <laughs> it's really great, but it's quite exciting to suddenly see these characters that you've read separately, yeah, working together. It's quite odd, and and the Avengers as a movie was for me was a, it, it was quite odd actually mm-hmm. to have seen those Iron Man movies going along, mm-hmm. and then to have him suddenly interacting with all the other characters was yeah. was quite something. The Marvel Cinematic Experiment, uh, where they're building a whole universe, it, I don't know mm. that this has ever been done. Um, to have this many... Um, they put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, they? you can tell it's a plan, because, you know, Iron Man, the Hulk, uh, mm-hmm. Thor, Captain America, and then, you know, le- even lesser characters like Black Widow, and I don't... I'm not sure if this is... Uh, I'm not sure... Do you, I'm going to sound completely continental. Uh, do you all have Netflix? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there's going to be the uh, Marvel Netflix shows where they're going to have um, uh, Daredevil, uh, um, Jennifer Jones, um, Iron Fist. Power, Iron Fist going to be one. Pa- yeah, 
Iron Fist and Power Man. And mm-hmm. then, there's talk of an X-Men uh, series as well, isn't there? Is there? Yeah, I was reading on the Starburst website. Really? Website, they're talking about it, yeah. Well, I, I don't, don't know, know what they're on about. <laughs> well, that's not going to go with uh, the rest of the continuity, though, because Marvel doesn't have the rights to the X-Men. No. Yeah, that seems strange to yeah. me. Yeah, Sony has Spider-Man and... Uh, Fox as the X-Men. Ah, so that's, that's right, why isn't Spider-Man it? Because... won't ever end up in yeah, Avengers. exactly. Because, because he does um... in the comic books. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Because hmm. Quicksilver's in the new X-Men movie, but he's well, also going to be in Avengers 2 as see, a different Qu- version. Quicksilver's a, uh, a weird character because he's Magneto's son, but he was also an Avenger. So I think they split the, uh, they split the rights right down the middle. <laughs> 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 and of course we've got the big um, X-Men movie coming out now. Mm-hmm. Which, Simon, before we started recording, you were telling me you've got uh, a piece of ephemera that links back to that. Well, this is it. And then as I was growing up, I was reading all the Marvel UK titles. And, and then you would start getting a bit choosy and thinking, I want to see this in colour. So you'd start seeking out the American issues. And they would, um, 1980, uh, for 15 pence from my local corner shop, I bought issue one of Days of Future Past. Uh, and I just I went into my cupboard yesterday and found it, and I've got it here in front of me. So I'm going to scan that in for Mark to put online. Sweet. And uh, it's I don't know whether it makes it worth more. You'd think it would, wouldn't you? Because it's mm. um, it's literally got the 15 pence emblazoned on the front, <laughs> properly printed. So they obviously they obviously did a print run for the UK. That was a lot UK. of money back then. Because I know the earlier ones, I think I'm fairly sure they just imported them across, and then people stuck stickers on them. But mm-hmm. these have literally got 15 pence in in big letters on the stunt on. The, on the front of the cover, so yeah, that uh, that was from that run, that uh, Claremont Burn run of the X Men. That oh, man, that, talk about a high water mark. That whole era from Dark Phoenix. That's what got me into comic books. That uh, Dark Phoenix saga. Yep, yep, we've got some of those as well. Yeah, yeah, it's like. So do you tend to generally get team-ups of someone who's a writer and then someone who's an artist, or do you get like uber-talented people who are great artists but they can also write the storylines really well as well, or how does that normally pan out? You don't um, get a lot of you don't get a lot of solo. Art. Uh, John Byrne was uh, one of the rare exceptions where he was mm-hmm. a, a good writer and a and a fantastic artist. But uh, mm-hmm. usually they're, they're teams. Yeah, Alan Davis is another one. I'll, anyone who knows me knows I'm an absolute Alan oh, Davis yeah. fanboy. Yeah. Oh, you liked Excalibur, didn't you? Oh, I adore <laughs> Excalibur. <yeah. laughs> the first one that is. Yeah. <laughs> But again, it's uh, that was the other interesting thing from this side of the um, the Atlantic was that you started getting British British writers like Alan Moore, um, mm-hmm. and and the artists like Alan Davis and um, Brian Bolland, and yeah. uh, oh, who else? A lot of the ones who were involved in the Doctor Who comic started yeah. getting involved in the American mm. comics, and it was just it, for my side of things because I was trying to be an artist as well, getting into the comic art. Um, was seeing the the way we drew things was slightly different, very slightly different. Alan Davis's work is extremely precise, mm-hmm. um, and that probably go, that goes back to because he started working sort of two thousand AD and things like that. I mean, that's probably about the only comic we've given you, isn't it, Dave? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know of anything else that's kind mm. of made... the crossover seems to be very much one one direction. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, don't give but them we, One Direction, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can keep them, please do. Um, but no, there, there is a sort of tradition, isn't there, in, in Britain for... I mean, growing up as a kid, um, maybe this is because I wasn't as well-read as you two, but uh, in the UK, there's a very much a, a tradition 
back in the sort of seventies and eighties of comics for kids were very much, I guess, in America you call them the funnies. They're mm. kind of mm. comic characters and little sort of comedy strips rather than superheroes as such. Um, the nearest thing we had to that for quite a while was Dan Dare, which was a, a sort of a, an action hero. Mm-hmm. And then in the 70s, we then got 2000 AD, which took it on to a totally different level. Mm. I'm sure Simon's got a thing or two to say about 2000 AD. <laughs> in what way? <laughs> well, I mean, is it um, a comic that really inspired you? Do you know, it, it was Made you want to be an artist? I or? have to be honest and say, no, it wasn't. Oh, really? Mm, it wasn't. Um, I was quite a late starter with 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, you were a late developer. When I, when I started, <laughs> when I went to college in about 1989, 90, I suddenly mm. got together with a load of. It was odd for me because I'd grew up in a quite a small uh, Cornwall town, mm-hmm. um, where my only link with comics was literally going down in the newsagent and picking them up, and I was the only person who read them. Uh-huh. I was literally the only person I knew who read comics. Um, wow. And when I went to college, and also being one of the few people at school who were good at drawing, so going to college was it was a double whammy. Suddenly be, yeah. being there with loads of other people who could draw as well as you, if not better, mm-hmm. but also that they were into their comics. And my God, you know, they lived near Truro, and Truro had a comic so- comic shop. I'd never been to a comic shop. Mm. The only stuff I ever found was in a normal news agent, so I'd always have to look down the bottom shelf because that's where all the kids' stuff was, <laughs> and and pick up the comics and, and go home and 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 I had to take what I got. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Um, I, would, I, I don't know go, if it's a go on. Sorry, I was going to say I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but certainly growing up in the UK, um, comics were looked on as children's entertainment. Well, they, whereas I get the impression a, in the US that it's a bit more there's literally across the board. A, a, a dis- does it, the, blah, the distinguishing thing between America and the UK is that we call mm-hmm. them comics and they call them comic books. Yeah. And it's almost like there is an instant respect in treating it like literature from the start in America, which there isn't here. Well, and of course, you've got your graphic novel as well, which is perhaps getting us that's, close to being pretentious, but, you know. Well, that's when you don't want to be caught reading comics, but you can read a graphic <laughs> novel. So. Yeah, we're back to Harry Potter with adult covers. It's just mm-hmm. it's smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Oh, when so, I was when I was a kid, uh, there was mm-hmm. a stigma of you know comics were a childish. Oh, right, uh, okay. But uh, now it's it's getting more accepted, and uh, probably the movies have been uh, mm-hmm. very helpful in that because yes, yeah, you just saw a comic book movie, everybody who just made the number one movie, the number one movie. <laughs> there's not as a real um, variation in types of comic as well. So you've got. Uh, yeah, sort of st- superheroes that we've been focusing on, but there's there's stuff like The Walking Dead, which is huge now. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff with very adult themes, um, and it's it's seen pro- probably more nowadays as a a legitimate art form, whereas perhaps it might have been looked down upon a bit more in the sort of eighties and seventies. Do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that um, it's it's gotten some legitimacy, um, and there's also been more mature titles that have come out, like mm-hmm. The Walking Dead. Um, so, yeah, that's helped uh, push things along. I mean, I don't know whether Dave would agree. If you go back to the sort of late 60s, early 70s, when comics went underground, um, mm. you had uh, titles by, oh, who wrote Fritz the Cat? R. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. You know, adult titles, comics. Mm-hmm. As people had grown up with comics but decided to start drawing adult subject matter. But that stayed underground and it was very much um, a cottage industry. Yeah, uh, these these things going out, and it's it's that same old thing of where all of a sudden somebody's working on those will get a proper job. 
and that sort of influence <laughs> starts coming in. And and that's where you get that crossover and you get things, you know, certainly in the UK, certain amount of 2000 AD mm. started getting a little bit like that. And people from that, you know, like Alan Moore, you yeah. know what he's like, he, he starts to want to do things his way. Um, and it starts to bleed through into the yeah. into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Well, and you get uh, creator uh, comics, uh, people who, you know, um, Spawn is one of those where mm-hmm. it was creator-owned, so he could basically do whatever he wanted to with it, and that got mm-hmm. more mature. That was in that um, in that high-flying 90s era where everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything went, uh, every, anything goes. Was that, uh, what am I thinking, Rob Leefield? No, Rob. Yeah, uh, no, not Rob Leefield. Um, uh, who was it? Somebody broke away from Marvel, didn't they? Because they didn't like the way it was going. Yeah, it was um, Lee. No, Jim Lee. Todd, no. Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane. Yeah, he had a really good Spider-Man run, as I recall. Gorgeous, gorgeous. But, uh, the thing with me is, I just looked at a lot of the artwork. Sometimes I didn't mm-hmm. even read the stories. I just looked mm-hmm. at the artwork. Uh, so beautiful. Yeah, he had a gorgeous style. Yeah. Has a gorgeous style. He's still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, we can go back to the Doctor Who comics because when they first started, we had um, oh Dave Gibbons. Yeah. From that first, because mm. of course that was Marvel UK again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So do you, it seems like a much more mainstream um, media now. There's, you don't. You don't get the impression that people, when they walk into a store and they buy a comic, where they have to kind of like slide it in inside their copy of the, uh, you know, TV Times or whatever. They don't. There's not that kind of stigma attached to it anymore. No, no, not as much. Mm-hmm. And where can you? Do you think you can see that? I mean, it, Avengers was huge, and then you've got these other movies that are sort of coming on now. Can you see it just completely dominating the box office now for quite a few years to come, or? I suppose it's like a lot of things, they kind of have their moment and they kind of die away again. Yeah. Well, um, one thing the Marvel Universe is doing is they're, I've heard they have everything uh, planned out till 2028. I mean, it's, mm. they've, they've got a whole plan, but that's forward planning. That's just forward planning, but they're being smart about it. They're building <laughs> it. I mean, it, each movie is like a piece of this huge story that we're not seeing the entire story of. So it's, mm. uh, I say you don't make, $500 million at the box office just by getting the quote-unquote comic book geeks. I mean, it, it yeah. is breaking through the into the main... Well, that's what impressed me about the Avengers movie was because I wasn't really steeped in the, the history of it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure whether I was going to enjoy it as much as someone like Simon who had grown up with it. Um, but I think they, they got that balance just right of having um, all the sort of little references for the guys who really knew their stuff, but not at the expense of somebody walking into the the theatre who'd never seen an Avengers comic book before. So I think they, you know, the balance, it's very easy to go too far in one direction. Mm -hmm. Um, You you don't want to upset your hardcore fans, but on the other hand, you don't want to make it completely impenetrable for somebody who's who's walking in for the first time. And I think they've judged that really well. Well, uh, the... um this past Captain America movie, they did a great job in doing the Winter Soldier, where, you know, the people who had read the comics, they knew, oh, Winter Soldier, they're so good. And But if you didn't know it, they laid it out perfectly. You knew mm-hmm. all you needed to know. That story made complete sense. It was, uh, it was really, it's it's a fine line in, storybook te- or in storytelling because you've got a hardcore audience and you've got an audience that, you know, you, you need the bigger audience so you can't mm-hmm. completely exclude them. But 
Still got to throw a bone to the old. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I haven't seen that, but I've heard it described as a thriller as opposed to a. It is an old, it is a spy slash conspiracy film, more than a superhero movie. And And yet, (laughs) and yet I've heard in much the same way, a criticism of the last Dark Knight film (laughs) is that that is a crime movie and it isn't a superhero movie. Mm. And so, and it, you could take Batman out of it, and it would still be a crime movie. But I've yeah. not, again, I've not seen that. But uh, yeah. they did an interesting choice in that movie, whereas they had an old, broken down Batman. <laughs> 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 so that was that was an interesting choice. I thought. Mm. I mean, they, you've got the whole thing with the um, the Superman versus Batman movie that's in the works at the moment. I just maybe it's me, but I just get the impression it's they've kind of cobbled it together. They just thought, oh, that'd be a good idea, rather than really kind of thinking it through. Well, I think they're trying to replicate the Avengers, but they're trying to do it much quicker than Marvel did. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's going to... There's a danger there yeah. of, of rushing it and then yeah. coming out with something and, that's not and do you really... know what? I don't think Marvel are worried because they've put cap- the release date of Captain America 3 the same day as Superman <laughs> versus Batman. <laughs> you know, for me, Captain America was... Um, you know, he wasn't one of the real... He's not the Spider-Mans, he's not the Hulk. He was one of the... He was kind of a middle ground character, wasn't he? Yeah, he was kind of on the Iron Man level. The I always call it, uh, Did my has my mom ever heard of this character? Yeah. Spider-Man, yeah. Superman, sure. Captain America, maybe. Mm. Iron Man, no, probably not. <laughs> of course, they made a sop to the, the UK by having Captain Britain. Do you think he's ever going to make it into one of the movies? Oh, I would love it. I I would love it. He is a brilliant character. Again, Chris Chris Claremont created him, didn't he? Which was the X-Men creator. Mm -hmm. Um, He's defender of the multiverse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, as far as I'm aware, he was kind of created as as some kind of figurehead of Marvel UK to to Mm -hmm. kind of put them on the map to get the crossover. And I think the first story was a team up with Spider-Man, wasn't it? Hmm. That would be a good way to uh, launch him. Mm, yeah. That was a John Byrne strip, actually. John Byrne drawn, if I remember rightly. Um, so with Captain Britain, is it the same deal as Captain America? He's been injected with this super serum and then he's... No. No? Oh, no. Okay. Um, Captain Britain, he... I think he's involved with Merlin. I think it was Merlin. Merlin gave him his... Um, whether he's a, I think he's a descendant of King Arthur or something like that. Yeah, so I think it's something like that. He was a playboy. He was a rich playboy, rich parents. And King Arthur was? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> he had a um, mansion and everything. I seem to remember he did he had something like he with had moat. some massive car crash and then had a went to Stonehenge, found himself at Stonehenge and, and had mm-hmm. this vision appear to him of Merlin who gave him power. Sweet. But, but there's all been all manner of things uh, with him since then. I think he got completely destroyed. He had a mm-hmm. run where he was completely, well, quite literally uh, disintegrated. And Merlin put him back together again and cast him out, and that's where it got all involved with the multiverse and things like that. And um, then there was a big crossover with the X-Men, um, mm-hmm. which is where Excalibur, as in X in Excalibur. Get it? Get it? Came in. Oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> that was a great title. It was, oh, yeah, it was absolutely. funny, wasn't it? Really yeah. funny. It was much more lighthearted because the X-Men at that time were getting very heavy. Mm-hmm. And just the X- Excalibur was uh, very much a lighthearted. Uh, it, it could breathe. It had a more air to it, it felt like. And Nightcrawler's one of my favorite characters. So. Oh, 
My favourite. <laughs> Honestly, my favourite superhero. There you go. Oh, do you know he came back? Did he? He's he's been resurrected. He did die, but he's back now. Ah. It was a you whole. You can do thing. anything in comics. Oh yeah, they actually went back to heaven to get him. So um, wowzers. He was dead with a capital D, but he's he's back <laughs> now. Well, I never. So with the the um, Days of Future Past, um, I don't know how. I'm assuming it's going to be pretty faithful to the original comic book because that was. I don't know whether they meant to do it or whether it was just like a subconscious thing, but that was based on a, an old Doctor Who, wasn't it, Simon? What was? Days of Future Past? Days of Future Past, yeah. Are you talking about Day of the Daleks? Yes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> In much I'm same- so sorry, Dave, because when Ben hears this, he's going to bore you rigid about it. Uh, mm. we always, we're always <laughs> looking for things to talk about. That'll be good. It isn't that, it isn't that faithful, to be honest. Um, okay. The original yeah. comic, uh, some little changes because Wolverine has become such a central character to mm-hmm. the X-Men, certainly in the movie form. Um, in the original comic, it was quite a small character called Kitty Pride, who I think, was she mm-hmm. Sprite or Shadowcat at that time? Uh, she she was wasn't Shadowcat yet. <laughs> no, she, she was quite just... a new X-Man, wasn't she? Very yeah. young. She had just joined and... like uh, five issues before that, I believe. That's right, yeah. So they, as a as a as a team, she was still very fresh to them, so they still weren't quite sure about her. Mm. And what they did was in the future, um, a character who was uh, the daughter of Phoenix, I think. Yeah, Rachel Grant. Yeah, she had very far, far-reaching powers, and she was able to pass her consciousness of the old Kitty Pride into the young Kitty Pride to warn the people in the past about what's about to happen. Yeah, they. Um, uh, her character sounds was, really complex. Her character was picked because she was so young and hadn't had time to build mental yeah. uh, mental defenses against this sort of thing. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking at an old reprint of this actual story. <laughs> the uh, the present was 1980. The future was 2013. Just throw that. Oh out. Wow. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in the film, they changed it to Wolverine. So Wolverine is yeah. the one that gets transferred back. Which makes sense because he, you know, nobody. Kitty Pride was in X Men Three, which mm. is a terrible, uh, terrible movie, that was by the way. Pretty bad, yeah. yeah. Well, I was I so don't excited know much about comics. But and that, at the end of X Men Two, at the end of X Men Two, they were going to do Dark Phoenix. I, it was I was so stoked because X Men Two is a really good film. At the end, they were hinting at uh, Phoenix, and I was like, oh, okay, and they completely screwed it up. Mm. <laughs> I was so angry. I have to say, I haven't seen X Men First Class, so I don't know whether that kind oh, of it's great. put them back on track again. Or yeah, that's lovely, a really good actually. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a good film. It's a great film. And of course, that's the two, yeah, X Men First Class and up to X Men 2, there's a big crossover in the new film. Yeah, I'm thinking they're just going to ignore X Men 3 entirely because it really looks like it's an offshoot from X Men 2, and, uh, which is fine yeah, with me. Well, as far as I'm, yeah, they'll change timelines, won't they? So it doesn't have to happen. Oh, cool. Do we, do we still get Vinnie Jones, though, don't we? Do we still get Vinnie Jones as... Oh, God. As, as Juggernaut? Oh, uh, do we? I don't know. Yeah. He was in we'll X-Men 3, out. wasn't he? Yeah. He was, he was probably the best part of X-Men 3. <laughs> wow. That, that speaks volumes. He was a big it. dude who ran through walls correctly. Didn't you like Kelsey Grammer's <laughs> Beast? Uh... <sighs> You know, I buy I buy the character, but I just don't buy the. No. <laughs> if he would just voice over a beast, that would be fine. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but um, no, it's it's very odd. 
uh, it's like I said to you before the podcast, Mark, to find that mm-hmm. copy of Days of Future Past kind of pulls everything together for me. Per- yeah. Personally, my experience with Marvel Comics, that pulls it all together because obviously I bought that in a newsagent in the corner store for 15p. That's now going to be a massive movie. All of a sudden, it's all very uh, mainstream, all the comics. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, all, it's strange for it all to be out there for everyone to know about, which is really odd because it was very much my thing. Growing up in that small town, it was it's quite odd. Yeah, do you feel so, like everybody's catching up finally? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm catching up now because I kind of went away from comics for a bit and I come back to it and then I go away and then I come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still try- I'd still love to draw in comics. I'd love mm-hmm. to. But, um, well, you are a graphic artist, aren't you? I am. And your, your artwork can be found in Starburst. previously mentioned Starburst magazine? Every month, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do the... I do J.R. Salville's column. I do the uh-huh. illustration to Beg go with it. Yeah. You do J.R.'s column? I do. Oh. It's, a fa- it's a family magazine. <laughs> no, but I, so, I, I'd, uh, I'd love So if you get the call from Marvel, you know, would you would you pack in Starburst and, <sighs> and do a few Spider-Man strips? It's too rude to say. Too rude to say. But um, That'd funny, be a yes. we were talking about Star Wars, weren't we? Because Star Wars is about to come back to Marvel, isn't it? Hmm, Yeah. Is it? I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's coming about. Is it still with Dark Horse at the moment, isn't it? It's gone with Dark Horse for. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit unfair, really, because after the films packed up, the first three films, and it ran for a little while on Marvel, mm-hmm. then uh, Dark Horse picked it up and did some really interesting Sweet. things with it. And now they're starting mm-hmm. the films up again, and it looks like they're going to be good. Marvel have got it again. Oh, because of Disney. Yes, mm. oh, of course oh. it is. Of course it is. That's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it is now. Miss, miss the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, so I have called a... Dark Horse. They get it during the pretty crappy <laughs> prequels, and then Disney pick it back up again when it's all tickety boo and yeah. looking quite promising. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's new and shiny again. Yay! And the uh, Marvel Star Wars run got me through a very dark time because. Uh, Kids, you may not be aware of this, but uh, there were four years between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Mm. And and that kept the line alive back before the internet. <laughs> I want my Star friend War. had the, uh, the Star Wars annual, and there was a, a comic strip, something about it. Was it the Crimson... Forever. I yeah. Now. The Crimson Forever. It was yeah. drawn was it? Yeah. by, was it Al Williamson? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading that. That was quite a good story, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? it didn't it play with flashbacks? Because Han Solo was still frozen, wasn't he? So they went. Yeah, back. we're going back a long time now. Yeah, no, I remember that one. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was just filling that gap, wasn't it, between the the original movie and then the Empire Strikes Back coming out? Because I'm sure all the kids had their own mm-hmm. ideas on how the story was going to progress from the mm-hmm. first film. Mm-hmm. Well, and even mm-hmm. more between the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, because if you remember, mm-hmm. the Empire Strikes Back leaves on a cliffhanger. For yes. four years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I have got, though, Dave. Ignoring the fact we're on a podcast, and I don't know whether these were ever published. Oh, hang on. No, I was told recently they were published in America in, a, in a, like a collected comics thing. But there were a, two or three issues of Star Wars Monthly, which was obviously a British reprint of a lot of the Star Wars stuff. But they started doing a few homegrown ones. And there's a couple written by Alan Moore with kind of British artwork and, and stuff in them. Really? Which are really quite odd. Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen that. 
No, I, I think a friend of mine said they're in some kind of collected comics, some trade paperback somewhere, but they're not. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'll scan some of those in because it's a lovely little crossover. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah. And part of me thinks that George Lucas is such a control freak that he would be very meticulous about what he allows them to use or not use in the comic books. And then another part of me thinks, well, no, he's also a, a businessman as well and he seems very happy to to make as much money out of as many various things as you can out of that yeah. trademark. So. Well, he basically made his nut on uh, merchandising. So mm-hmm. He did. And, and to be <laughs> honest, he said, yeah, you're free to go and do what you like with it, but don't expect me to follow the continuity in the films. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, right. Fair enough. There's canon because, and this is what you're doing. So. Oh, dear. <laughs> Dave, I don't know about, uh, whether you found the same things. Did you carry on reading the Star Wars comic after they finished the first film? You did, didn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have any issues with some of the artists and what they did with some of the characters and the ships and and the guns and things like that? Yeah, well, there was one artist, uh, Carmine and Fantiago. I might be yeah, masquerading yeah. his name. Yeah, I felt terrible recently because yeah, I'll tell you in a minute. Go on. Yeah, I was never able to get into his art. Uh, his characters always look like their chins were drawn with T squares. I mean, it was very angular. But uh, I don't know. I, I I think I knew to take it with a grain of salt. Because yeah. I figured it's one of those things where, um, kind of like in the current Spider-Man run, it's like, you know, when the movie comes out, everything's going to feed back to status quo and go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that, though. Carmine, Carmine Infantino, his name was. Yeah. And uh, I absolutely hated his artwork. Really hated it. And I particularly hated the fact that his guns were all blocky. And um, the Millennium Falcon looked like, you know, those toys for small kids of Star Wars characters. They do a Han Solo yeah. and Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Millennium Falcon looks really squat. It's almost like, yeah. you know, Duplo. Is it kind of like the Duplo to the Lego. Exactly. That kind of, exactly. Yeah. And that's what all his ships were like. I hated it. Um, and I looked him up to see whether he's still working and he died last year. Yeah. Well, I hope you feel bad now. I Simon. feel terrible. Well, <laughs> you weren't saying anything about him as a person. So. No, I wasn't. I he was wasn't. Pr- and actually, he's, he's, if you look him up on Wikipedia, he's absolutely worshipped in, in, the, in the comic world. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. He did something in particular. He invented one particular character, I think, but um, I can't remember now. But no, I did, I did take issue with that because I just thought, well, it's all there. Star Wars is Star Wars, so it should just be how it is on the screen. Surely. <laughs> There's artistic license, I suppose. There is, yeah. I mean, some people can get away with it when you watch, the, you read the Doctor Who strips. I was mm. going on about that one strip, Junkyard, Junkyard Demon, in the Tom Baker mm, era. Yeah. I yeah. adore that strip. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's a bit of a fan favourite, isn't it? It is, it is. They've all got big boots and things, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So if you two guys, for someone like me who's a complete ignoramus to the whole world of comic books. If you wanted to try and get me interested in comic books, would, would there be like a particular um, storyline that you would try and recommend to me to get me hooked on it? Or would there be a, a particular franchise that you feel would be a good introduction to comics? Mm. Or is it too is it too sort of spread out? Is there so much variety that it's, it's very much down to the person as to what they would... Yeah, I can give you one example... Mm-hmm. Because I think I always think the best way to get into something is to almost have like a little um, reference point, even if it's mm-hmm. just a writer or an artist that you've seen before. Um, I've recently been reading the latest run of Wolverine. Okay, because mm. it's written written by Paul Cornell. 
Ah, right, okay. He's so, and, and Doctor Who. for me, it was a big thing because it was Paul Cornell and the artworks by Alan Davis, who again, say, mm. is <laughs> my favourite. <laughs> so that is, I, th- I think, is about a ten-issue run. Okay, um, which I can lend you. Oh no, no, oh, six parts. It's a six-parter, um, and it's called Killable, and it's about what happens to Wolverine when he gets his mutant healing power taken away. So all of a sudden, he's mortal. Okay, and so, has to be um, careful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Part of Wolverine's charm is just running into the uh, machine gun stream and <laughs> and he can't do that now. But but funny you saying about the crossover thing though. When you read that, you'll see certain characters come in and out of it, which are from other comics, and then you can refer to that and think, oh, I'll start reading that. That's exactly how it worked for me anyway. I tell you the other thing. I don't know if it's another cultural thing whether you guys got it in in America, but um, growing up in the seventies and eighties as a young lad. Um, we used to get these like little mini comic books. They were commando comic books, and it was all like World War Two stories with, you know, quite sort of gritty stories of you know commandos infiltrating German territory, and you'd have all these sort of like stylized sort of you know blam and all that kind of stuff across <laughs> the the page. Did you get those, or or was that not really something that you guys got over there? Um, well, there were certain comic. Uh, um title sergeant rock was one of them um mm-hmm. which i think was dc actually but uh we didn't have um strips as far as that goes we, there were mm-hmm. a couple of dedicated books to that but they were never they were never the i don't know it ever crossed into the mainstream universe mm-hmm. it's, it's it's just occurred to me of how how the comics behave during the wartime <clears throat> it's kind mm-hmm. of filtered through both in the UK it's and kind of propaganda, and wasn't it? Really, it was in many respects. Well, I think about the UK, the the wartime comics, as you say, were the funnies. They were the ones that kind of got that's that, that's how Britain got through the war was mm-hmm. stiff up a lip and let's have a laugh about it. And I think they were very popular then because it wasn't until about the nineteen fifties that titles like the Eagle started up with things like Dan Dare, yeah, started up. But again, there was that same kind of almost militaristic, very. Um, yeah, stiff upper lip kind of characters were, were carried through, and it wasn't until the 2000 AD time that things started getting a bit more sketchy and a bit more random. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I'm right, Dave, that with America, it was it was much the same things. Like you say, you had Sergeant Rock. Even Nick Fury started, didn't he, as a, being mm-hmm. a, a, kind of like a wartime strip after the event. Yeah, it was Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. That's right. Nick Fury's always a, a, an odd duck because he uh, apparently found a fountain of youth kind of formula. That's why he's still viable today. Uh, <laughs> that was convenient. It was convenient. And at some point he turned into Samuel Jackson. Yeah. I'd, well, that's pretty cool. How mm-hmm. they explain that in the comics? Because he well, he's black in the comics, isn't he? Yeah, he, well, he started in the Ultimate line. There's uh, there's two comic lines in the Marvel Universe. There's the main Marvel Universe, and there's this offshoot uh, called the Ultimate line where they just reimagined everything. So Spider-Man was a 16-year-old kid again um, who did the website for the Daily Planet and that sort of thing. And in that... that u- website. Hmm? Sorry. <laughs> um, in that universe, uh, they based they actually based um, Nick Fury off of Samuel L. Jackson mm-hmm. in, in the hopes that if they ever made a movie, they could cast Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And, he's a noted comic book fan, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> he was kind of shocked when he found that out, but uh, he was game for it, and uh, everything went well. Um, 
And I actually missed that he's actually in the mainstream Marvel Universe now, and I kind of missed how they did that. I, uh, mm. I didn't quite catch how they transformed him. or if, I, don't, mm. I actually don't think he's the same character. I think he's another character named Nick Fury. I don't know. It's all very what comic What did you guys book-y. make of um, Unbreakable? Because Samuel L. Jackson's the, the bad guy in that, isn't he? That was an interesting take on the superhero genre. Mm. I really uh, liked it. Yeah. I, yeah, that's one of my favorite movies that uh, M. Night Shyamalan has done. Which, yeah, it kind of went off the boil for me after that. But, yeah, which uh, is kind of faint praise. Really but <laughs> <laughs> Is it one you're familiar with, Simon? I, I've not watched it since I saw it at the cinema when it first came out. Mm. Mm. Um, I quite liked it. I thought it was over long. That's all I yeah. remember. I just remember it being a very long film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, uh, it was an interesting take on what you would do if you found out you had superpowers. You wouldn't put on spandex. You might just put on a hoodie. That's yeah. Right. Yep. Or a poncho. Well, exactly. that was one of the most interesting strips in a funny way. It was one of the most interesting strips in 2000 AD was a character called Zenith. You ever heard of that? Okay. Um, and it was kind of treating... I can't remember who the writer was. Was it Alan Moore? It was someone like that. I know Steve Yale did the artwork. Always remember the artist, never the writer. That's rubbish, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, <laughs> and it, it was if there was a superhero in real life and he ended up being sponsored and doing TV work and doing celebrity stuff and doing advertising mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, really cynical, you know. Yeah. Um, real, but kind of realistic. Really, yeah, absolutely satirical. That's a really good. That's a good one to look out, actually, Mark. Okay. As far as British strips concerned, Zenith. Cool. There was I think it was about three runs of it, and it was it mm-hmm. was really good, quite funny, but. Um, very true to life in a lot of ways as well. Hmm. And of course, you know, the other big 2080 one was Judge Dredd, of course. Mm-hmm. I remember picking up a few issues of 2080 in the 90s and being really blown away by the artwork. I mean, I wouldn't know who the artists were, but it, it got to the point where it was almost like you had... Um, oh, see, I don't know all the characters as well as you guys, but the... Um, Judge Death, is it? Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's a strip with him in it. And the artwork is almost like some kind of avant-garde painting. It's amazing. It's taking up the whole page as well. It's just massive slabs of artwork with just like the odd little dialogue box yeah, yeah. thrown in on the odd page. And it's it's you know, quite a, a jaw-dropping experience to read it. 2008 became a bit of a weird animal because in the early days it was on like cheap paper, mm-hmm. sort of at 77 when it first started. And yeah. it did things like uh, it brought Dan Dare back and kind of modernized mm-hmm. him a bit and then had just dread and um this sort of thing and then later on in sort of late 90s and the two thousand the early 2000s um it went on glossy paper and was beautifully printed mm-hmm. uh, and do you feel it lost some of its character by doing that it's I don't, or... the stories just seemed really um uh, what's the word when they're kind of elongated to there's a, probably a, the right word for it if something becomes too stretched out. It, mm. Not much seemed to happen in each in, in episode before the next They're one. Going back to a sort of Doctor Who reference, it's like a Pertwee story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an awful... And, and it, the emphasis on the artwork almost became too strong in, in, because mm. all of a sudden they had this beautifully printed, full-colour, glossy pages yeah. type thing. Um, I think that sort of came with artists like Simon Bisley when he got involved. Because he came in and, and did uh, a run of Slain, and his artwork was all of a sudden had gone from just being normal pen and ink line work with a mm-hmm. bit of um, colouring here and there. All of a sudden, it was like full colour oil, oil painting type 
yeah. or acrylic type stuff that he mm-hmm. managed to chuck out at incredible speed, but an incredible quality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, the emphasis on the artwork was there, which meant that they would give the artist full reign to just take their time over a, over a story. Um, mm-hmm. And the story suffered in big ways, as far as I was concerned. But I was never really a 2000 AD fan. For some reason, I never took to it mm-hmm. um, in the same way as Marvel. But then when I wanted to be an artist and I went to college, I suddenly realized that the big thing for British artists yeah. and for writers as well is that 2000 AD is basically a testbed. If you want to hit Amer- you want to break mm-hmm. America, you do it through, through 2000 AD. Yeah. Mm. To go straight from just drawing and then getting picked up by someone like DC or Marvel mm-hmm. in the UK is incredibly difficult. But the way you get noticed is by going through the British publications. So it's like a portfolio it's, for aspiring And artists. that was the only reason I started buying 2000 AD, was mm-hmm. literally to try and get myself up to speed on working to that sort of level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to a convention and got my stuff looked at by a few people and decided that I didn't want to work for them. Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, I, and then I disappeared from comics altogether for about 10, 15 years. And then it's, I've just oh, fairly wow. recently come back to it again mm. through through meeting some brilliant people, some brilliant, mm-hmm. enthusiastic and positive people, because what I got at this convention was an incredible amount of negativity. And I just thought, I don't, I'm not sure yeah. I want to be involved in this, but, um, so have you got anything in the pipeline that you can tell us about, or is it all <coughs> under wraps for the moment? Um, I've just done work on a music related project, mm-hmm. but I'm not saying any more than that. Okay. And there, oh, you're also oh, involved can, in Cygnus Alpha, aren't you? Which is a, yeah. a fanzine, which uh, has got some pretty impressive artwork. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That was a fanzine that was run back in the 1980s mm-hmm. that basically covered the Peter Davison uh, era, um, mm-hmm. possibly into the Colin Bakers as well, and then disappeared again um, as people grew up, went off to university, got jobs. Mm-hmm. And then last year when we organised the Phonicon event local to Exeter where we all live, um, (coughs) by chance um, Lee, the the guy I organised it with, got in contact with one of the guys who used to run Cygnus Alpha back in the day, which had quite a good reputation amongst all the fanzines. Mm, Had some pretty notable writers. It did, yeah. Paul Cornell wrote for it and um, Gary Russell, Mm -hmm. who've both been involved in the TV series now since then. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just thought, oh, let's put together an issue just for, just for the event that people can buy on the day. And then we decided to carry it on. And I don't think people realise what an incredible amount of work it is to do. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm still waiting. I've done issue 13 and now I'm, I'm waiting to do issue 14 and I've, I've mm-hmm. realised that I just do not get time to do it. So it really does depend on whether you've got a load of spare time or whether you've got a lot of yeah. good people around you because now it's mm-hmm. it's a bit of a team effort now. So there is yeah. another there is another one in the, the pipeline. Oh, that's good. Uh, and there are some brilliant... Um, and weirdly we've got an in, weirdly we've got an interview with Paul Cornell about his Wolverine and about his oh, new sweet. book in the new issue. It's kind of come full circle. Exactly, exactly. So is there a website that we can point people towards if they <laughs> want to check out Cygnus Alpha? Um probably the best thing is a Facebook group or a Facebook okay. page. So if you mm-hmm. stick Cygnus Alpha into the search bar in Facebook you'll find us. Excellent. And Dave, <laughs> seeing as we're getting plugs in, I think we should definitely give a mention to the Tower of Technobabble. Oh, thank you. Uh, we're actually going for a Guinness Book of World Records at the end of the month. Yes, this is huge. Yeah. We're going we're to do it publicly, so we're going to either 
succeed or fail in the public eye. Yeah. Your co-host Ben seems to be keep adding on hours each time you're talking about how long you're going to run for. I think you need to rein him in a bit. Yeah. Um, well, he can talk as long as he wants to, but I think we're going to cut out about 40 hours. <laughs> <laughs> the record is uh, 36 and some change, so we're aiming for 40. So you guys are going to be at um, yeah, it's is a, it a convention or a, yeah, it's a uh, called Wonderfest. It's mm-hmm. uh, basically a convention for uh, special effects and modeling, which is uh-huh. really cool. Um, they don't have a lot of big, you know, you can't come see uh, Matt Smith or something, but you can come mm-hmm. see people who have worked in the industry and see some of their work and see some. But quite um, often, you find they're more interesting than the yeah, people in front of the screen. Well, and you're not going to have to pay fifty dollars to have your picture taken. Well, there is either. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a uh, yeah. I don't really care for the big uh, Comic-Con type conventions. Mm-hmm. This is much more, I mean, it's going to be fun and it's going to be a lot of stuff going on, uh, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be, you know, they're not going to be putting people in with crowbars trying to get as much money as they can. So, uh, so you're going to be doing a, um, trying to break the record, the world yeah. record for the longest ever Lo- webcast. Is yeah. That right? Longest ever live webcast. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a table there. Um, we're trying to figure out a way to get Towerbot because uh, he's our breakout star, of course. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's the Spock to our Kirk. Yeah, yeah. All the ladies love the Towerbot. But <laughs> <laughs> so, is there a web page um, that you're working on to so people can tune in, or uh, yeah, it better to go through well, the Tower of Technobabble web page. Yeah, it's going to be www.towerofTechnobabble.com, and then at the top mm-hmm. we'll have uh, a link to that the page you can stream and we'll have we're, we're actually working out the uh, technical details right now mm-hmm. but uh i believe if you're in the sort of louisville area um you could potentially help out with this world record-breaking attempt is that right that's right we'll be interviewing people there come talk to mm-hmm. us we have 40 hours to fill <laughs> and i believe you need people to, to act as witnesses as well yeah that's the tricky part talking mm. 40 hours isn't going to be the problem because mm-hmm. we seem not to have that kind of a problem. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, logistics of the thing is going to be the tricky part. Uh, we need, basically, uh, we need people to watch us do it, to say that we did it, and sign mm-hmm. their name to that effect. Uh, there'll be, yeah. we have to have two witnesses at all time in four-hour shifts, so we're basically mm-hmm. looking for 20 people to, to, to look at us. <laughs> so you're, if you're in the Louisville area and you feel like you could help out, and just head on over to. Is there a the good way to contact you? I guess you can probably get in touch through the Tower yeah. Technobabble webpage. Yeah, the best email address would be uh, towergram at gmail.com. And if, if you can help us out with that, or uh, we're also looking for sponsors to help us out with some of the financial mm-hmm. costs. So uh, anything you can do to help, we would be greatly appreciative. Well, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Oh, you'll, you'll hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to be a, a huge vat of whiskey or something to keep you going through the through the early hours no we're thinking water and caffeine uh, i think okay. uh, i think liquor might uh it might be good for the hour 20 but hour 27 would be uh not good <laughs> oh, i wish you all the very best of luck with that dave thank you very much and um as is customary on the show we like to ask our guests for recommendations so it doesn't have to necessarily be comic book related um, but if there's something that you guys have that you'd like to recommend to our listeners to check out that you think would be uh, of interest, uh, and I can set the ball rolling while you guys have a bit of a think. Um, certainly recently, uh, music-wise, um, Pixies, who were a huge band for me back mm. in my teens, first band I ever saw live, um, still one of the best gigs I've ever been to. They've just released a new album for the first time in decades. Oh, cool. And it's pretty decent. 
they can still rock. <laughs> so that's worth checking out. Um, also, TV-wise, um, I'm guessing you guys are getting it fairly pretty much simultaneously, the TV version of Fargo. Yeah. Oh, are you aware of that? Yeah. yeah. I've seen the trailers mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, it's very good. It's It inhabits the same sort of area that the Fargo movie came from there's there's a little sort of subtle winks to the original movie <laughs> oh geez so it's, it's really cool up there eh? <laughs> yeah so i'd certainly recommend that you've got a it's a really uh, the first episode me and my wife watched it and it's like an hour and a half long and she asked me you know it's are you sure this is a series because they're packing a hell of a lot into the first first episode um, but it's it's a really good show um the ones i've seen so far i've seen the first couple of episodes so i certainly recommend watching that um, and also uh, the obligatory Game of Thrones. Uh, if you guys are up to speed on that, um, season four is currently showing in the UK on Sky, and it's pretty amazing stuff. I won't <laughs> spoil it for anyone, but it's it's worth watching. Yes. Definitely, characters get their comeuppance. They do. They do. Yes, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was so glad when uh, one of the episodes showed because uh, Ben kept talking mm-hmm. about something that might happen, and I knew it didn't because uh-huh. I'd read the books. And right. I was so happy when when uh, <laughs> an episode showed that. You know, I wasn't going to spoil it for him. Yay! <laughs> so, what do you guys have to recommend for our listeners? We'll come to Simon first. Ooh. Um. <clears throat> On the music side of things, oh, mm-hmm. I've been listening to so much. I mean, lo- listen to a load of synthesizer stuff, um, which is very unlike you, Simon. Yeah, you're not usually a big fan of the not, uh, not at all. the electronic stuff. And I've just started another radio show called Two Knobs and an Oscillator, which is all dedicated to that sort of stuff. <laughs> but I listen to a lot of that, but connected with that, and also connected with what I said about with the music project earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with this podcast, you are aware of Mr. Timo Peach. Momo Tempo. Yeah, he's been a guest on the show. Yeah. A very lovely man. I'd, I'd say for people really to check out his stuff, stick Momo Tempo mm. into Google and just look at his videos and things like that. Yeah. Um, he has got a new album in the offing. Mm, and there yes. is a new single coming out. And I can say no more than I have had a very small part in it. I, th- and, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And that there, is Simon. an exclusive. And he'll probably tell me off for even saying something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's there's that. And also I'd say in, in connection with this whole podcast, I think one mm-hmm. from what we were saying earlier, and hopefully Dave will go along with this, is that if there's something that embodies this this crossover between the UK and America and Marvel mm-hmm. and something that embodies the best of that, is that original run of Excalibur. If you can mm-hmm. get a trade paper paperback of um oh, what's the first one called? The sword. I try to remember what the first one's called. Anyway, Excalibur by Chris Claremont and Alan Davis. Read okay. it because it's it's just brilliant fun. And, and by I, the way, it starts with an E and not an X. So if, oh, yes. if you're looking in alphabetical order, look for the E's <laughs> and not the X. Oh, yeah, no, because they did change it to starting with an X and it was awful. <laughs> yes, get the first run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Alan yeah, Davis avoid, run avoid with an E, not the X. Yeah, and you get dot two references and everything in it. Oh, sweet. Because there's some Lethbridge Stewarts in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> And what about you, Dave? Do you have anything you'd like to recommend? Uh, I'll go with the comic book uh, line here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a... I wouldn't say it's a great way to get into comic books in general. Well, actually, uh, to the Marvel Universe in specific. But comic books in general, it's uh, Hawkeye, the uh, 
the archer from okay. from, um, from the Avengers. Avengers. He yeah. has his own series now by Matt Fraction and David Aha or Asha A J A. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but hmm. it is one of the funniest lines I've read in a good long while. It's just it's so clever. They play mm-hmm. with narrative. They play with the uh, narrative line. They bounce back and forth in time. Uh, they'll mix issues together. So when you read it again, it makes a completely different. You get a different feel for it. It's just it's okay. a lot of fun. And so I would highly recommend that. And it's a standalone. You don't need to know everything. You know, if mm-hmm. you if you're in the comic books, you'll get a lot more of the in jokes, but it, I'm yeah. sure it reads fine if you don't. Mm-hmm. It's just a very witty way to do it. And um, uh, are you all getting Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. Yeah, my wife is quite addicted to it. I've got, I must admit, you're probably going to hate me now, but I uh, found it a bit boring. So Well, you might want to look at it again. No, <laughs> no, I was thinking the same thing. I watched the first few episodes and lost interest, and then I've been ah. seeing some of the stuff that's been going on. It's like, ah... Right. Yeah, if okay. you can mm-hmm. if you can find the last four episodes, basically when it okay. started, it ties into uh, Captain America: uh, Winter Soldier, uh-huh. and there's a point where all of a sudden it just explodes, and it's been a slow burn. But uh, okay. yeah, if you uh, have the ability to catch up with that, catch up with that because mm. it's yeah, some sure, of the best TV on. Am right I now. right? Am I right in thinking there's a character called Deathlock in it now? Yes, yes. One he, of the char- I I knew him as a backup strip in Star Wars Weekly in the UK. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, it, it, there is a version of Deathlock in this, and uh, it's it's some of the best TV on right now. Uh, do yourself a favor. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for agreeing to come on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. That's been fun. really good. Really, really good. And uh, Dave, all the best with your record-breaking attempt. Uh, fingers crossed. Red, <laughs> Red Bull at the ready. <laughs> I had didn't even mention the Deadpool movie. Have you seen they're talking about doing a Deadpool movie? No, I hadn't. Mm. It, but it's it's going to be like because um, obviously Deadpool from I, I don't really read the comic, but I'm aware that it's kind of it's not really for kids. No, it's um, not. Yeah, they're going to go for uh, a movie that actually does it justice rather than trying to go for like a twelve certificate and making it really good. Muted. So it sounds like yeah, that could be in the offing. Good. Dead, Deadpool was in. Oh god, what film was it? It was Ryan Reynolds, wasn't uh, it? That was Wolverine, and that was yeah. not Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> that was I, not Deadpool. I don't like my superheroes, boss. I that's the thing. I don't. Think, think He's about got it. a mask on, hasn't he? What Ryan Reynolds? Well, Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, he has. In, about... He should have. Yes, but he wasn't yeah. in that in Wolverine. Ah, uh, no. Deadpool's whole thing is his tagline is the Merc with a mouth. And he, you know, he's funny. He's quipping. He, and then in the Wolverine movie, they sewed his mouth shut. So I'm not oh. sure why they even bothered doing Deadpool for going to completely neuter yeah. the character. Sounds like a slightly naughtier version of Spider-Man. Exactly. That's it's that's very much a, an apt. And don't reference. even talk to me about the Fantastic Four movie, please. Uh, so, what did you think of the Fantastic Four movie? <laughs> well, do you know what? I I actually quite like those last two they did because they're fun. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the new one, I, just, I don't really know what they're doing because it's not Marvel doing it, is it? Oh, didn't no, I somewhere? I think it was Dave. weren't you talking about this on Tower of Technobabble where they're they're making one of the characters 
um, African American, but his sister isn't. Or yeah, something, that's or, the thing. It's like yeah. if I don't have a problem with them changing the character like that. It doesn't, you know, he mm-hmm. doesn't have to be blonde hair, blue eyed. But if his sister is, then that's either. I mean, that adds a narrative that you don't really need in a superhero movie. Yeah. You've got enough heavy lifting without. I wish they just went ahead and made his sister African American too. Well, when we, were talk, when we were talking earlier, and you've mentioned Fantastic Four, the first word you mentioned was family, which is for me is what yeah. Fantastic yeah. Four is about. Yeah, and they're uh, <laughs> it makes me so angry. <laughs> it's, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and don't don't lose sight of what is great about something. They seem to, I think they seem to think that maybe the powers are the most important things about them. I don't know. No, basically, Fantastic Four. It's two siblings, um, her husband, and the family. You know, best friend, the uncle to, to the children, you know, that sort of thing. That's yeah. the nut of the whole the whole affair. Well, I mean, if from what I gather, if the Transformers films have told us anything that you can throw as much as you like at the screen, but if you don't actually really care about the characters, it makes for a pretty rubbish film. Yeah, I think that third movie broke Ben. <laughs> He's, he literally says he doesn't really like to go to movies anymore because of that, that god-awful wow. Transformers. I'm, tr- I'm trying That's to pull sad. him along back into, you know, trying to detox him. The way Tim Burton has to twist everything so the penguin becomes this squat bloke who spits black. And- yeah. yeah. Oh, and don't forget the fish guts. He eats fish guts. Oh, yeah, that's Ew. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget the fish guts. Uh, I think that could be a, uh, a little Easter egg. <laughs> Dave is shouting, don't forget the fish guts. <laughs> With no kind of yeah. reference to what we've been talking about. You, that in context-free. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 